Yes, I also think the demonic display at the Grammys was bad. The reaction also made me recognize we might have our priorities out of order. We'll do that and a lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Don't get me wrong. A display of outright Satanism on a national scene—it's bad. You know, it's kind of the thing that calls down that calls down judgment from a holy God. However, from the reaction I saw from folks associated with me and my ideas and the fealties that I have, I came to the conclusion we we might have our priorities straight. Excuse me, priorities crooked when it comes to the intensity about those things where we correct. I will give you details. In just a moment, welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts and right here on his radio talk. I have a quick note on that his radio talk point here in just a moment. Amongst many other things, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You are invited. It's a fun time. I do love my church. It's a highlight of the week every week. Really quick on the his radio talk part. March 31st will be the last day of broadcast for WHRT, his radio talk, in this format. I don't know what comes next for uh, the the actual terrestrial signal that is 89.7 and 91.9, but it is coming to a close where the Corey Truax Show uh, predated WHRT and will post-date WHRT. We'll continue to do the show. I'll probably change when when I do it. It'll be much, uh, it'll, it'll be different. I don't want to get into the details now. Uh, you know, even just the, the segment breakup will be different because really the, the podcast lives in the radio world. I'm doing it for WHRT, and soon I'll be doing it just to do a podcast, and I suspect that means it will be shorter and maybe more often. That's the possibility. Any, in any event, just want to say thank you to WHRT. Some of the great, really, I mean, truly, the, the, the morning show, a Christian Worldview, Dr. Beam show, Getting into that has been one of the, my favorite parts of being an adult. The, these last, and it's been almost 15 years that I've been walking in and out of those doors, to be in some ways mentored and helped to be better, especially by the, the I, I cannot give enough superlatives for Gary Miller, who's been the, some glue holding together the entire infrastructure that is Christian Radio right there on Wade Hampton Boulevard. Uh, I, I want to commend him. I want to say thanks to the station for you who listen live on Saturday mornings and Saturday evenings. And there's a chunk of you, because I, I can tell by the your response. You don't respond when I put out the show on the podcast feed. You respond on Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays when you've listened to the show terrestrially. It's easy to find me, guys. Corey Truax, uh, yeah, it's CoreyTruax.com. Yeah, CoreyTruax.com is the website if you're not on social media. If you are on social media, again, easy to find me. I hope you'll stay in touch. Stay engaged, and we can continue doing this for as long as the Lord wants. And when it becomes clear I shouldn't be doing it, we'll stop. So that's a little programming note to WHRT. Thank you. It's been awesome. I'm glad we had the time. And all good things come to an end. All right, here we go. Yeah, I didn't see watch the Grammys. I don't have time for such things. There's just way better content and way better things to do in the world than watch a bunch of stars that I don't know. Like I, I realize... And even seeing the winners, I don't know who these people are. I don't listen to the music. I don't know if I listen to anything past, I don't know, 2010 that's not Taylor Swift. I just don't listen to a lot of music. But I, I saw the outrage, and 
certainly I, the the satanic symbolism of uh, his name, I think his name was Sam Smith and some other person in a performance they did. And for you who felt outrage and who felt upset about it, let me affirm that. Sure, it is. It's good for you to be upset that darkness and Satanism was put on display. If you don't know what I'm talking about, by the way, you can just YouTube it, Google it, you'll get the details. It's not worth me spending the time giving you the details here. I just noticed, though, the intensity with which and, and the volume, I don't mean that as how loud or how quiet, I mean the how much, how many people came to condemn and critique is is interesting or at least I, th- I would say troubling in comparison to maybe some other core problems we have. If you are like me, we stand here. If our country, or if any country, is ever going to be stable and thriving, it will be because some plurality or majority of the people are faithfully following Jesus or the principles that Jesus gave us, the Bible gives us, are governing people's lives, how they live with their neighbors and their families and their spouses and their co-workers, their bosses and those they are boss over, that the, when biblical values are practiced in a culture, it will thrive. For those of, those of us who think that, we, we also tend to think that the way that will happen, the way that a people group will have biblical values inculcated in them, is because the church is thriving. The church is the plan. When Jesus leaves, he gives us all the mission. Go, therefore, preach the gospel, make disciples. That, that's, our, that's our whole thing. We're here to make disciples. So people who know Jesus, help them to know help them to know him better. And those that do, know, do not know him, help them to know him. That's all we're doing. And as that happens, you'll see the curation and the, the brightening of the culture. And so, when the culture is dark, it's one thing to critique it and tell it it's dark. That is fine. It's good. I just noticed we, we, tend, we tend to not do that in our own house with the same volume. I think the people who do it do it with the same ferocity. They are just as fierce, but they don't. it's not enough people. Just, I'll give you two examples. We'll do one more in depth than the other. The same weekend that there was a satanic ritual that Sunday night on television for the, 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 the world to watch... There was a church in, a, in America that morning that, instead of having their pastor preach, invited a congresswoman to use the scriptures, exegete some scripture, during their preaching time. Now, I can't quite tell if this church even holds to women being able to preach, but I shouldn't have to itemize how many problems there are there. By inviting a congresswoman to your preaching time, you speak to the world. We are here for the state, not for the kingdom. We are here for the country, not for the kingdom. By recognizing and lauding her while she was there, we give attention, we give affection, adoration to political power over kingdom power that will change all things. And then in particular, this, this particular congresswoman, it's the Bobert woman from out in Colorado, she doesn't fit in her public persona, her public behavior, not only is she just a woman and shouldn't be preaching, she doesn't fit any of the character qualifications laid out in Timothy or Titus. And I would argue that she doesn't fit the character qualifications 
with any kind of uh, regularity for what it would be to be a Christian in public, just behaving oneself with the honor of someone who says, I'm following Jesus. There, uh, yes, there should be outrage over Satanism on TV. But I am telling you that the thing that's going to change Satanism on TV is if the church is healthy and thriving. And so at the, before we work on the, or maybe at the same time, as we work on the Satanism on TV thing, the same volume of, object, of objecting needs to say to churches that bring in congresspeople, don't do that. We're the kingdom, we're not the country. We're the kingdom, we're not the state. When we come together, we gaze at Jesus. We don't gaze at congresspeople. I would argue the second or third most significant voice in Christianity, Andy Stanley down in Georgia, American Christianity, recently said some astounding things that I'm about to play for you that needs more ferocity and volume. He is, I'm getting more and more convinced with Andy Stanley that he's just, uh, he's a wolf. You're going to hear how careful he is in his language. He's so careful to toe some lines here. So you can't just straight up say what he's doing when it comes to compromising biblical truth. But we can see, I can at least see through those, uh, that shroud, and I'm not even all that discerning. I can see through it. But I've got folks in, in my feed that I think are orthodox and good, and they're trying to make excuses for him because for whatever reason, we are prioritizing the purity of American culture and its symbols And it's gatherings, the Grammys, more than we are the gathering of the local church and what that looks like. So in that vein, let me play for you now what Andy Stanley said that's gotten him into some hot water, and it should be much more hot water. And then I will respond as we go. This is, if we can call him that, Pastor Andy Stanley of North Point Church down in Atlanta. Figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. Well, I, I'm a gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay, men and women. So before we continue on, two, two notes. So his premise is, if, uh, if, we had, if we had heterosexual Christians as enthusiastic as, he's going to say it, homosexual Christians which isn't, well, I'll hold my commentary, but that, I'll hold my commentary for now. Then it's funny, he says here, um, excuse me, if heterosexual Christians had the same enthusiasm as homosexual Christians, and I'm, I'm holding my commentary on that phrase, then we would have volunteer backlog because they're just so much more enthusiastic. And then it's important here that he says, let me read it. He's prepared this. What he's going to say next is so nuanced so as to, no matter who you are out there, you'll think, yeah, he, he's, he probably agrees with me. He's probably on my side of something. Here's more of Andy Stanley. Okay. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm going to try it anyway. What? 
Have you ever done that as a straight person? And do you, where do you go that you're not sure you're going to be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-law's house. That's the only place you go oh, you. where Funny you joke. know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over, and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place. I'm telling you. So... Not only is there an ethic of inclusion, there's the ethic of superiority. There is supremacy. It's not just, there's one line here that is not orthodox, that's LGBT inclusion. And now it goes one step further to LGBT supremacy is what this sounds like. The gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in Christ as adults who want to participate in our church, oh my God. Goodness, I know First Corinthians six. And hold on, before he says that, you see how there's no clarity in this on what any of that means. Does that does that mean anything about? Are you, are you saying people who struggle with attraction and say it out loud that the attraction is a problem, the desire itself is the problem, and they are mortifying their flesh? Are we talking about that? Because if we're not talking about that, we have a really big problem. And it's important here in the moment when, when things are, at, on this topic, the last 20 years, so gray and messy, it's at this point you should be really, really clear. I know Leviticus, and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff. No, no, sir. It's not just interesting to talk about 1 Corinthians 6. It's not just interesting to talk about Leviticus 21, and it's not just interesting to talk about Romans 1. It's not just interesting. It's authoritative. It's that which we bend our knee to. Not just interesting to talk about those things. He called them clobber passages. Yeah, they clobber, they clobber falsehood. They clobber that which is false, false and fake. They clobber false teachers like yourself. But just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father, who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, God said no. Does it sound like he's saying they're that there was a prayer for the orientation to change, like the desire to change, and then God said no. He did not grant them the desire. Here's, here's why I have to answer the, ask the question. He provides no clarity whatsoever about what he's talking. And again, we can have discussions about in, inclusion when it comes to temptation towards sins and the mortification of those sins, but he's not providing any kind of clarity, and he's the third most popular voice in all of Christianity in America. And they still love God? We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much. And so I have things to learn, not just, again, not just inclusion, but now supremacy is where we're headed. My point here just being this. Well, we got lots of problems in our own house. We got churches bringing in kind of kooky, not just kind of kooky, congresspeople and throwing them on stage with the Bible, giving them preaching time. And our third most followed, uh, I believe, by the way, Stephen Furtick and Craig Groeschel are the two most followed. Uh, figures in American Christianity are, man, two out of those three, maybe three out of those three are, are really problematic when it comes to the most followed figures in American Christianity. And we are instead only obsessed with, only critical of what's happening at the Grammys. I'm saying, you know what? Yes. Be critical of what happened at the Grammys. I am now also calling us to be critical, discerning, 
towards what's happening in our own houses, in our own walls of the church, so that we might be effective enough to go out into a culture and change that culture enough so the things that happen at the Grammys would be unthinkable. Now, when we come back, I actually do have some more thoughts about what happened at the Grammys, but one step deeper, like I always want to do, not just, they're so bad. I just want to tell you that this, this version of secular progressivism that they think is so appalling, it is morally appalling. But I want to tell you when we come back why it's also just so boring. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. The stuff that the culture wants to be transgressive and shocking has just become really boring. Let me explain on the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts in just a moment. You can find me, your host, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I hope that you will follow along there, provide content, comments, tell me why I'm right or wrong about any given thing. You can also email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. There was this satanic, demonic-looking performance at the Grammys that plenty of people associated with my types of ideas freaked out about. And I I just had some immediate, I think some deep, deeper thoughts than a lot of your other commentary. For example, there was a time when displays like this were radical. It was radical, I remember, uh, back when, when I was a kid, it was, I was, it had to be late 90s, early 2000s, but it was like the first time women at the Grammys or at the Emmys were wearing dresses so low cut you could see down to their belly button. Or like totally backless dresses. Like that, believe it or not, believe and this is hard to remember, that used to be a very big a very big deal. I remember when Jennifer Lopez did it when I was a kid, and it was groundbreaking that she wore something that low cut. And now basically a lot of women are just showing up close to naked to these things, or they just they show up wearing the weirdest things. There was a, a shock value to, uh, was that the MTV Music Awards where in the early 2000s, Madonna performed with Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears, and she, I think she kissed both of them, or at least one of them. There was some shock value to it. Now, what we, what we had was, in this uh, demonic performance was, oh, so it looks like you guys are dancing around with demons, and one of you is the devil, and you're kind of, fake performing sex acts on each other. Oh, wow. I'm so scandalized. Blown away by how edgy you are. We don't see that all the time now. And in one way, that's terrible. It's one, it's one bad thing that we're so jaded and it's so dull to look at it and go, that's not even a big deal anymore. But our culture is so degraded and it is so depraved that this disgusting display on a stage or was on your TV was just kind of like, all right, anything else on? It's just boring. It's also, it was once transgressive, it was radical when the artists think Woodstock were so outside of the institutions. So you think Woodstock, a lot of those, it's the hippie culture, and so They are going to be anti-government, anti-military, anti-war people. That's going to be one of the things. There's they're anti, uh, they're anti-corporation and the the business world. 
the, those types of institutions. But now what do we do with our, our artists? Our, the artists at that time, and you can go back, it's, this is a long tradition for artists, they are subversive. Subversive against the government. They critique governments. They create, critique institutions. They often critique religion, businesses, corporations. But this, these stars and, that we put on stage and put on TV, they just agree with everybody at Bear Stearns and Citigroup and everybody at Goldman Sachs all thinks the same stuff. You guys are just upholding the values of everybody, like one, one party of the United States that happens to have most of the power right now. You're not, not transgressing anything, not really challenging anything. You're not doing anything new. You're all just so boring. Are they, all, are they also doing something appalling? Yes, but there's no new ideas. This is, this is all that our enemy has to offer. He's old and busted and boring. I think that's one of the things we should be saying to our kids about these things. Not chiding them and talking, because let's be clear. Yeah, a lot of the folks that performed at the Grammys, they don't, they don't uh, influence you, but they influence your nieces and nephews and your kids and your grandkids. And one thing that will often not work when it comes to communicating with your young people is telling them to stop listening to that because that person is bad. It's, it is saying out loud, I'm just bored by them. You find that interesting? There's, there's just nothing there. There's no depth. There's nothing to grab onto. Oh. Tra- oh, i got to chase this trail down now. Something just occurred to me. I'll uh, make a note so I can know where to come back to. There is, there is in our current entertainment culture what Soren Kierkegaard called the... Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, incredible thinker of the... I guess that is the 19th and 20th centuries. I, I recommend a lot of his writing to you. What he would have thought of as the maturation process. Let's see if I can remember this. He talked about maturation as the aesthetic life, the ethical life, and the religious life. So as someone matures, they, they first just start aesthetic. It's just the pleasures. It's the base desires. So do think about children. Some of those base desires are good. They want to be warm. They want to be loved. They want to be fed. They want to be clean. And they throw a fit when they don't have those things. Even more, as you continue to grow up, your appetites in your teen years, your, your 20s, they drive you. Your appetites for fame, acclaim, money, sexual experiences, any kind of pleasure, that's what drives you. You're living the aesthetic life. You want pleasures and comforts for yourself. Then that next part of maturation, as you come through out of adolescence, you start to come into it in your teens and 20s, is you balance your aesthetics, your base instincts, with your ethics, that yes, you might have the desire for a given pleasure, but your ethics say getting it would violate the ethic, and so you choose the ethics. Or there is a, a better thing you can have by not spending money on this pleasure right now or this experience, then you're going to have a better thing later. And the ethical thing to do is save your resources because you're preparing for the future or something like that. But it's about maturation. At the beginning, we are obsessed only with the aesthetic, having pleasures and comfort. Then we'll start to balance how much aesthetic and comfort we get with our ethics that we develop. And then he says, finally, you come into the religious, where there are eternal truths that you even bow your ethics to 
as you get closer to the divine. Not just human reasoning on ethics, but divine intervention and divine law. And then he has a lot of incredible things to say about when you come to that religious that religious stage in your maturation that is, I, I don't have time to get into all the cool stuff he says about the difference between faith and confidence. We'll maybe do that on another episode. But if you want to ever look into that, it's really good. So it's a Soren Kirk. I'm sure there's a YouTube video out there somewhere. Soren Kierkegaard's aesthetic, ethical, religious paradigm for maturation. What we have artistically right now is so boring because it's childish. We haven't come out of the aesthetic. It's just images that are supposed to shock us and don't shock us anymore. It's just messages in a song. Like the message of the song is about adultery. It's about a married man having committing adultery with another man. It's appalling, sure. Shocking, yes. In this culture, does it blow you away and scandalize you? No, nah, it's pretty boring. I could probably turn on Netflix right now and five, like, find like five movies or shows with a similar storyline. You know, even the the satanic stuff isn't really even all that new. Just in the last 10 years, I remember Katy Perry and her song Dark Horse did a performance that invoked Satanist-type, ritual-like images. Nicki Minaj had a... I remember it was controversial. She did a Grammy's uh, performance where I think they made it look like there was an exorcism, if I remember. I remember there was a rapper. I think his name was Portugal, or Portugal the Man, something like that. And he straight up ended a speech with Hail Satan. Like This is stuff that's been happening at the Grammys. So even for this sad, older, overweight man who did this this performance, just like, hey man, you agree with all of the most powerful institutions. You're not subversive. You're not shocking. This is just kind of sad and boring. You know, the actual radical thing, the subversive thing in the culture today would be some star coming out and not thanking the you know like as one star did uh, the queer community or something. It's just saying, uh, yeah, I'd like to thank my wife of 25 years and our beautiful kids over here that I've been faithful to. That is the subversive, insane thing now. Well, and in part why well, we're connected to the Soren Kierkegaard idea because that person is not living the aesthetic or the ethical. They're they're living all the way into the religious life where you even sacrifice your desire for aesthetic, pleasure and comfort, you sacrifice it to, as we talk about on the show all the time, your duties and requirements. So let, let us be, as I, kind of all I wanted to say about that, but this transgressivism we're in, while it is damaging and we have our outrage about it, I think we need to talk about it as boring. When it comes up at work, when it comes up online, when it comes up, at a family gathering, hey, what do you think about that uh, satanic performance there? That was boring. It's it's appalling and terrible. It's bad. But these people, people are so tired. They have nothing new to offer. Just the same old garbage. I can't remember the Christian thinker who said this historically. For once with me, it's not, uh, it's not C.S. Lewis. It might be Douglas Murray. Who cares who said it? But it was something like, Evil is boring. Two, two, two primarily, well, what, one primary reason. I think it was two, but I forgot what the other one was. It's just self-obsessed. That's what Satan is, right? Satan falls from grace, falls from eternity, 
because he refuses to worship whom he should worship and instead demands worship for himself. So he falls to, to uh, falls into sin that way. He's self-obsessed. That is, in part, what he sells to Adam and Eve. You're, what happens when you eat this fruit, guys, is you're going to become like gods. Be interested in yourself and your power. He's a self-obsessed being, and that's what he encourages. That's what he tempts us all to do. Be self-obsessed. And self-obsessed people are boring. Have you been around those people where you can't tell a story without them saying, oh, that reminds me of a time, and they tell you a story about them? Gosh, that's obnoxious. And it's because it's so self-obsessed. Now, I, I do well in social circles. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I'm a high-scoring introvert. As in, when you do those tests and assessments, it shows I, I get my energy from being alone, not with, with people. But I develop the skill of being around a lot of people primarily two ways. Ask a lot of questions and be super enthusiastic about whatever they have to say. This is why I like to, when I, when I especially when I'm not preaching and kind of focused on Sunday mornings, when new families come in, I like to talk to them. When I'm at work or at social settings, that's what I like to do. Let's just go ask them 10 interesting questions, not the boring questions of, where are you from? What's the weather like there? But some real interesting questions. Uh, some of my friends actually get annoyed with me because I, I never ask, how was your day? I ask, what's the best part of your day and the worst part of your day? Did anything do anything interesting today? Like, that's the kind of questions I ask to create conversation. You ask really good questions, and no matter the content, you just are enthusiastic. Oh, that is super interesting. Let me ask you another question about that. Let me get a, a little bit deeper. And let me just say in social settings, I'm popular. People like talking to me because it seems like I'm interested in them. And Lord help it be, I want to be interested in them, even when I'm not genuinely, I hope it turns into that, that it's not just work, it's not just a tactic. But those are interesting people. The uninteresting people are the ones who want to talk about themselves all the time. So evil is boring because it's self-obsessed. And now I will connect this finally to a C.S. Lewis point. That is that famous quote of his that says something like, there's a child playing in a mud puddle. If he's never been to the sea or the beach, it means nothing to him when his father says, it offers him a holiday. Hey, let's go on a holiday to the beach. The kid has no context. He just is like, yeah, what's? Well, I don't want to do that. I've got my puddle right here, and I'll just play in this mud. There's a, a call here for us, because evil is so boring. We have been called to more of the adventure. The adventure is to go make good things. For some of you, that's art. It actually is making music. It is writing that blog. It's creating content for social media. It's producing your own videos. It is Bible study time. It's time with your kids. You're not producing anything except for them, and that is totally worth it. We've been called to something way more fun, into an actual adventure. Get out of the mud pies. Get out of the boring stuff that this world offers and get into the good stuff. The interesting things with eternal meaning and eternal value and eternal virtues, that's where you're gonna get gonna get uh that's where you're gonna get your adventure. The uh what's that called? Like the money line, I guess, of that C. S. Lewis quote is we are far too easily pleased. And I, I find that deep in my soul for us. We are so pleased by what Netflix, Apple TV, and Amazon have to offer. 
There's some good stuff on there, but it's we are too easily pleased. We are too easily pleased by reality TV shows. Too easily pleased by some of our, not bad habits, but just kind of vapid and meaningless. What would happen if we demanded more and really wanted an adventure? What happens if we take that Kierkegaard paradigm and move on from the aesthetic, the pleasure, and the comfort to balance into having our ethics and then our worship be that which drives us to our activities? I think that's it. My thesis. Evil is boring. Virtue is fun fun and exciting. Let's pursue virtue. When we return, I've got a video that just blew my mind. You have to hear this. It's from a congressional hearing. And I will make the argument that one of the institutions we've lost that we need to get back is the institution of shame. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. What I'm going to play for you next is, sure, it's egregious, it's embarrassing, but it's also instructive on maybe how we prepare ourselves and our kids, the generation behind us as we move forward. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Email the show at show at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my weird name. You will find me there. Would love to have you. Thank you to all those who support the show monthly. Let me encourage that as well for those listening. If you find any kind of real value in these 50 minutes or so we spend weekly, you can support the show, 5 bucks a month even, 10 bucks a month, whatever you want to do, or none at all. You can do that uh, at, on the Anchor app or at the Anchor website. If you need the link, just reach out. I'll send it over, and that's all of the shilling I'm going to do today. Let's go to video from C-SPAN, my favorite channel. Just kidding. This is from a Judiciary Committee hearing, and they're asking questions of people nominated to be judges. These people were nominated by the current president of the United States. I don't particularly care about any of the politics of it, so let's stay out of it. And just listen to the, res- the questions and the responses. Again, it's embarrassing. It's egregious, but we can learn something from it. The questioner is the senator from the state of Louisiana. His name, I believe, is... I think actually is John Kennedy. It's not obviously the past John Kennedy, but it's the new John Kennedy from Louisiana. And let's listen to him ask some questions. Um, Judge on the far end. Uh, Tell tell me what Article 5 of the Constitution does. Easy. Uh, By the way, I'm not prepared for this. I'm coming off the top of my head. I'm almost positive. Article 5 is the amendments one. That tells us how we amend the Constitution. So all 10 of the uh, Bill of Rights would have come through Article 5. Uh, There's other ways to amend the Constitution. Then the 27 total amendments, all of those come through. This is the kind of question, by the way, I wish got asked in judiciary confirmation hearings. Just ask the questions, how much Constitution do you know? Because if you don't know much, you shouldn't be a judge. Let's see how well she does. Article 5 is not coming to mind at the moment. What? You are already currently a judge, wanting to be elevated as a judge, and you don't remember what Article 5 of the Constitution is. There's not even that many articles to remember. Now, granted, I'm gracious. Remember a couple weeks ago where I, uh, I, I guess, confused the stories of Lot and Noah? 
It happens to us. Some of us who are even semi-experts on things, we get things mixed up. So maybe she'll do better as we go along. Okay. How about Article 2? I know, I know, I know. Article 2 is the one that talks about the presidency, because we actually have the idea of not supremacy, but the first among equals. Article 1 is the legislative branch, Congress and the Senate. Article 2 is the executive branch, presidency. And Article 3 is the judiciary, and they, while they are all equals, it should be in that order of deference. So she shall know this, right? Article 2. Here she is. Neither is Article 2. I didn't add any silence there. She is stumped has no idea what Article 5 or Article 2 of the Constitution is. Okay. Do you know what purposivism is? <laughs> no, that's just a jerk move. <laughs> like, I think I know what that is. I think purposivism is uh, when interpret interpreting the law, you are to defer to the purpose that the legislators said like in their whereas clauses of a law, like you're supposed to, I think it means, I could be wrong, I have at least one attorney, I, I think I have two attorneys that listen to the show. If I'm wrong, please tell me. Uh, let's, let's see how she does with purposivism. Here we go. Um, in my 12 years as an assistant attorney general. Huh? Oh, no. This is really embarrassing. Not even, you could just defer and say, no, I don't know what that term means. But she's going off on her own tangent. And my nine years serving as a judge. You served nine years as a judge, and you don't know what Articles 2 and 5 of the Constitution are? I was not faced with that precise question. You, well, okay, maybe you weren't faced with purposivism. I would imagine, I hope, you would have faced some kind of training. But even if you never f faced a case on Article 2 or Article 5, you would know what they are. Because you know who would know what they are? Any 10-year-old 30 years ago. I learned those. We had to. It was the rules. Um, we are the highest trial court in Washington State, so I'm... And that's why you should be so embarrassed. The highest trial court in Washington State, they have a judge on it that doesn't know Article 2 and 5 of the Constitution. Frequently faced with um, issues that I'm not familiar with, and I thoroughly review the law, our research, and apply... He didn't ask you about the Chevron Doctrine or some obscure case from 1947 in the, like, I don't know, the Washington State Supreme Court. He asked you about Article 2 and Article 5 of the Constitution. Again, it used to be part of middle school, maybe even elementary school curricula. By the law to the facts yes, presented to me. Well, you're going to be faced with it as a, if you're confirmed. I can assure you of that. Thanks. I think I said his name was John Kennedy. I was wrong. I just showed it on the screen. It's Joe Kennedy. All right. That was fun. Yes. And we can make fun. Sure. There is more to take there. It's embarrassing that she did not know that. And that she couldn't recover and come up with some kind of fact. I just want to take it this direction. It is very important to teach those to your kids. And your grandkids. The, the more important thing is to teach them scripture. No question. If you're going to err on the side of one or the other... It is way more important for them to know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judges, of uh, going to Saul, Solomon, David, divided kingdom, the prophets that come up, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all those guys, the rise of Jesus of Nazareth, his, his work, his death, his burial, resurrection, the apostles that come after, Paul's three missionary journeys. It's way more important for them to know that 
and for that matter, to then know the early church fathers and Constantine declaring Christianity the the Christianity is the religion of the Roman Empire, and all all the way through, like going through church fathers, going all the way to the Reformation, way more important for them to learn that. And if you have to spend time on one or the other, let me encourage them knowing their true origin story. Our true origin story is that our founding fathers are obviously Jesus above all. He's the cornerstone above all. But just because I think it's a much more fun way to say this, uh, our founding fathers are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, George Mason, and Benjamin Franklin. It's more important for them to know Bible stuff. So let me say that out loud. But part of being a good citizen is we know our laws, we know our civics. You know your rights. It's one of the things that bothers me the most and one of the the video genres I watch are interactions between citizens and cops sometimes. And it's just so clear, citizens don't know their rights in relation to the government. We need to know those things. And if you don't know those things, I mean this, you you really do, I'm being a jerk here, you should probably just delete TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and just get to work. You can reach out to me, I'll get you some resources. PragerU and YouTube for free has a lot of this stuff. But we, we need to know our civics. We need to know what the articles of the Constitution are. We need to know those fundamental facts. And if I if I can say it, guys, learning is fun. It's actually exhilarating to learn things. Talked about evil being boring early or earlier. Living a life where you don't learn new things or remind yourself of the old things, it's boring. In in what I do more of now in my my day job, it is a lot more puzzle solving. And maybe all of you can identify with this. When you truly solve a puzzle, mine has to do with software, but when you truly solve a puzzle, when you have that eureka moment of going, I get it! Man, there's so much satisfaction in that. So yes, we can make fun of this woman for not knowing. She's obviously an ignorant person who should not be on a court. Let us not be the same. Like, uh, I I think it was planted. I'm almost positive someone fact-checked this and it was a fake. But there was a time back when the Tea Party was going where someone held had a sign that said, hands off my Medicare, or get your government hands off my Medicare. I don't think anyone ever wrote that sign. That was someone who came to a Tea Party rally to take the picture and make it look like it happened. But that sentiment was spoken by some people. And so we don't ever want to sound like that. We don't want to sound stupid. And ignorant. It's part of being a good citizen is that we know how things work. We talk about them with uh, with some expertise. Okay, at least two more stories. One, I, I you know what I'm not even going to use the name of the site because if you don't know about it, you don't need to know about it, and I don't want to send anybody their direction. There is a terrible web. There's a terrible website. It could be an app. It could be both. I don't know. Where non-celebrity women or women who have amassed to themselves fairly large social media followings can take paid subscriptions and then give their subscribers specific content. This is mostly sexual content, nudity. So basically, we've democratized. This is how awesome we are. Great, Great job, America. We've democratized pornography so that it doesn't just go through particular websites or magazines. Now anyone can be a porn star. Everyone can live their American dream and every 20-year-old who needs some money can sell herself 
for some dollars on this app and this website. Now that I'm saying it the way I'm saying it, I just I think I want to ban it. I think I'm ready to do it. You know, you don't you can't sell yourself. You know, we already say prostitution is illegal. What this is this is imaging prostitution. This is just visual prostitution when you can sell your nude self to strangers on the internet. I'll come back to that idea, but because I need to develop it more. Here is the headline. Headline is Florida mother suing school district for banning her from volunteering because she is a quote this website model. I can't believe they're calling her a model in this headline. That's not called a model. That's called a, that's called a porn star. That's called an image an image prosti- prostitute. That's not a por- that is not a model. This woman for the her elementary school where she has a kid because this woman is apparently in her early 30s and sells explicit sexual content of herself on the internet that became known to other parents at the school and to school officials and they banned her from volunteering and being around because they didn't want her as an influence on those kids i got to tell you i have no uh, i have no problem with this if it becomes very clear that there is a bad influence, and let's be clear, I just found it. She's 31. A 31-year-old woman who gets on the internet and sells her body to strangers is a bad influence on kids. And it's it's one of those questions that comes up just much too often and too easily. What's your mommy do? What's your daddy do? Hey, what's your job? I sell naked pictures of myself on the internet. Yeah, I don't... No, I don't want this woman around around kids. Now, my that, that's the story, that's the person, and that's the event. Remember, we're on, on this show, we do this... The, the person, the event, and then the ideas undergirding it. Here's what occurred to me. We need the institution of shame again. We are a shameless people. The idea now that you would even say that is appalling to most folks. Even some of you might have just felt like I punched you in the gut. The, what? How should this woman feel? She should want no one to know. She should be hiding the secret in shame and ultimately not doing it. Instead, she's so open about it, so proud that this is what she does, she's willing to file a lawsuit and say there's there's just no, no problem here. Be- and why? Because there's just no shame. We live in a culture, we live in a time where you're not allowed to say to anybody, hey, you shouldn't do what you're doing. What you're doing is bad. We're unable to do that now. And so some of the most depraved bad behavior is some of the most depraved and bad behavior is excused, and people are just proud of it now. All right, I said we need a shame, and maybe this can, maybe this final story can connect to that to it. Let me recommend some uh, recommend another show to you. I don't listen to him except about once a month. I'll go for a week and listen to uh, one of the guys from Daily Wire. I think he's the founder, yeah, he's founder and president or whatever it is, uh, Ben Shapiro. Certainly, when he talks about Bible, turn him off. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But he recently, he has a good interview show. I prefer him in that setting where he has someone to talk to, and I like it when he talks to people who disagree. Recently, he had on Anna Kasparian. She's a left-winger from the left-wing network called the Young Turks. And they had a good conversation. It's about an hour and 20 minutes long, so it's, it's in-depth. It's not that dumb Fox, CNN, MSNBC thing where you just yell at each other for four minutes and you have to go to commercial, and then you just don't talk about it ever again. This is good, in-depth discussion. And a good 20, 20 minutes of it, I don't think Ben did great. He did okay. 
in talking about the healthcare system because she was she is is in favor of single payer healthcare and she made at least an articulate argument for it. I think easily defeated and he did okay in arguing against her point. It did get me thinking about some things that discussion that I want to find a solution for. For example, I learned recently that there is this this drug called Humira. It is an anti-inflammatory drug that apparently has a lot of a lot of different uses. And the company who patented it has now for it seems almost 20 years been using all kinds of legal loopholes to block other drug companies from producing it producing it as a generic drug which obviously leaves the cost higher like i think i saw yeah it's like a $50,000 per year medication and our patent laws are actually some of the best things america did is our patent laws because people who spend a bunch of money and take a lot of risk to create something deserve to take in the bounty of their of their creation they deserve to get their money back and then make some more money especially in the pharmaceutical world, because they're healing bodies often and doing medicinal things. Yeah, they deserve to get their money. I think our law is seven years. That If you create a drug or a treatment, you get seven years to make all of the money back that you spent. But apparently, this company has has started to violate the system and is just soaking in all kinds of cash, and people are suffering, and our entire system is more expensive because of it. And so it at least leads me it at least leads me to be a little bit more skeptical of of that part of the system. Because we have fair laws, and it seems like the laws just aren't being enforced. And I, I am a free marketer by like as, as a principle, and think the world, not, not just think, and will demonstrate and argue with clarity, the world is better because of free markets, including medicine is better because of free markets. Everywhere medicine has free markets, it becomes higher quality, we get better results. I want to keep it that way, but we should all have the ability to have some self-doubt when we see that the systems we have have brokenness, and I think I'll, I'll bring something to you on uh, some solutions on that here in the future. I just run all out of time. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Act Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.